Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Catholic Talk Show. Today, we're going to be talking about purgatory. That's right. We're going to look at what the church teaches on purgatory, uh, what the church teaches on indulgences, whether or not the church ever sold indulgences, and we're also going to explore the concept of limbo. And if you might be facing some time in purgatory, you might need an indulgence. Grateful to be back in the studio again here with Father Rich and Ryan. What's up, guys? Hey, guys. What's going on? Very interesting topic here today. A lot of uh, a lot of curiosity, a lot of scriptural references. A yeah. lot of There's a lot of thoughts. There's a lot yeah. of thoughts when it comes to limbo, yeah. indulgence, yeah. purgatory. A lot of misconceptions for sure. Yeah. But even mispractice in the church history that we're going to look into a little bit here today. Yeah. We've yeah. done episodes on heaven. We've done episodes on hell. And this is, I would say, kind of the third part of our uh, our trilogy of the afterlife, right? This is about purgatory. We're talking about purgatory. Purgatory. Right. So huh? <laughs> purgatory um, and indulgences being so t- uh, closely tied towards purgatory and limbo, whether or not the church still teaches that. A lot of confusion, a lot of nuance, and something that doesn't get talked about enough. And honestly, I don't think it's something that Catholics consider enough is purgatory. And that for most Catholics, man, and probably myself included, purgatory is about the best I could hope for when I die. Mm -hmm. So, you know, getting a deeper understanding of what happens uh, when we die and and when... What we know, how we know it, you know, like all that stuff. I'm curious. I don't know anything about it. I just... I did some indulgences the other day with uh, after um, uh, the, the yeah you the, you did the, a bunch the of saints you, the saints stuff you know all saints all day. saints day yeah yeah back when it was the, uh, all saints day they had an eight octave where you go to the um you go to the uh, cemetery and you pray for somebody mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and it and it gives them an indulgence but our indulgence yeah. and which and, means what they just go straight to heaven after that like am I am I freeing people well, if you, if, you sat, if you satisfy the conditions of obtaining mm-hmm. that and we're some get of those that. conditions are pretty challenging mm-hmm. to satisfy I would say it's say almost, for a guy like me I would say probably 99% of the time the plenary indulgence is not granted so that 1% is for you it is oh, we yeah. got to figure that out how we get to that 1% <laughs> maybe well, your son Vinny got it but first first uh, and foremost I think purgatory we we must realize purgatory is an action of God's mercy as it relates to preparation for the soul to enter into the heavenly mm-hmm. court. And it's it's ultimately a place that each of us long to be because that is precisely the process in which we are purified before God's righteousness so that we may enter into perfect communion with him in the beatific vision. Outside time and space, I hear people always say, you're going to be in purgatory for a long time. Yeah. This is... A- is this something that is outside of time? Well, we'll get into that. And the, the, the misconceptions around, you know, 30 days off in purgatory, how long you spend oh, in purgatory. But before we do, what you need to get into is our website, www.catholictalkshow.com. By visiting that domain, you'll be able to see every way that you can listen in or view our content on YouTube. And if you do go to YouTube, type in Catholic Talk Show and be sure to hit the subscribe button as well as the bell right next to the subscribe button so that whenever we produce anything, it will populate in your feed. 
And please consider becoming a patron of our show by supporting us financially by going to patreon.com forward slash Catholic Talk Show. There you could see multiple tiers of ways that you could support us and we could share wonderful memorabilia with you so that as we continue as a show, we continue by way of your generosity. So we want to express our deepest appreciation to all of our patrons out there. And jumping into this program, we must realize that there are souls in purgatory and they merit our prayers Absolutely. and our consideration, as well as our own journey forward. We must realize that this is the process of our own purgation, not only in purgatory, but here on earth. We should be purged of our sins as we move closer in communion with one another to Christ. So I think there's a few things we need to talk about to give context to the discussion on purgatory and ultimately indulgences and ultimately at the very end limbo. So what is purgatory? Uh, purgatory is the teaching of the church um, that not everybody who dies in the friendship of God is ready for heaven. They're just not. Nothing, uh, and where does the concept of uh, purgatory come from? Is this something like that Protestants uh, would claim is just a complete belief by Catholics as a cash grab to take money from unsuspecting believers? Absolutely not. Purgatory is in Scripture in multiple places, and it's not even hidden. It is very clear that purgatory is in there if you have any... Uh, ears to hear it, it's there. So uh, the Catechism of the Catholic Church 1030 says that all who die in God's grace and friendship, but still imperfectly purified, are indeed assured of their eternal salvation. But after death, they undergo purification so as to achieve the holiness enter- the holiest necessary to enter the joy of heaven, right? So for example, without purgatory, I think um, the concept of God would be exceedingly cruel that you could be a good and just man, but the day before you die, your, your neighbor's dog, you know, poops in your yard and you yell at him. You're like, come on, man, keep your stupid dog out of my yard. That kind of behavior and that kind of um, language or whatever, even that anger that you felt would exclude you from heaven because nothing imperfect can enter heaven like scripture tells us. So you're saying that he lived a just and good life but in a brief moment, he had a non-mortal sin, and that kept him out of heaven. That would be monstrous and barbaric. And I think that the nature of God dictates that a purgatory is there because it is a outflow of his mercy and his justice combined. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, it's kind of like when you go to mass, like I go to mass and I'm like, oh, man, here's all my sins, you know. And then it feels like God purges a lot of that and gives me this strength, this supernatural strength and closeness to him where I make decisions that, or I, I, I stay away from sin, you know, because of this strength of what I receive from him. So it's it's almost like him doing the same thing, but outside of time. Does that happen within the mass for you? Or does it happen before you, before you? A little before, but receiving the sacrament. You know, and, and that's the thing for me. It's like, I'm so constrained as a presider, as a priest in the celebration of mass because we begin in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The Lord be with you and with your spirit. My brothers and sisters, let us call to mind our sins so we may prepare ourselves to celebrate these sacred mysteries. It's like... You've got that down. You must I'm have said conf- that before. I'm confined within this liturgical structure, within the within the concept of maybe 90% of the people or more, that this Mass should only last 30 minutes, This, if it's a daily Mass. This Mass should only last an hour. And... Really, you know, we're calling to mind our sins. How effective is it when I say that and then I say, yeah, and then I say, 
I confess to Almighty God and to my brothers and sisters, yeah. and then we go into the mechanics of the liturgy without a real deep and conscientious effort yeah. of recognizing our sins, because that's precisely what purgatory is. It's a contemplative remembrance of what we have done that has offended God. And an important scripture that we have to, to consider here is from, I believe, the letter of St. James, where it states, the righteous man sin seven times a day. Right. And that's righteous people. You know, so our sin is ever before us, as St. Paul says, and our sinfulness, whether we are cognizant of it or not, it is upon us. Mm -hmm. And purgatory gives us the light in order to see our human failings, our human omissions, our human mm -hmm. sinfulness, so that we may spend a period of time, unlike we're supposed to in the Mass, really thinking about it. Yeah. So that's why I think showing up early for mass or preparing is, before, preparing you, go, before yeah. you go is really, really important. Yeah. So I think there's even some Catholics who believe that the church doesn't teach purgatory anymore. That's how far and how poor catechesis on purgatory has drifted. Um, because when it was challenged post-Vatican II right. and culturally the, it was like the church was being blasted for it, especially uh -huh. limbo, right. then it's like, well, we probably shouldn't talk we, about we're it. Not gonna talk we're about not going to talk so about that, it at all. And there's the conception that, oh, we don't teach purgatory anymore. Mm -hmm. We don't teach limbo anymore. And it's, there's so much confusion, but purgatory is in the Bible unequivocally. Um, and it's also Book of Maccabees in, in multiple, places. Yeah, multiple places. So there's the Book of Maccabees. That's one of the very primary ones where it's very clear. That's my favorite scripture absolutely. as it relates to purgatory. Uh, that's where some of the soldiers, um, after one of the battles, they found these idols on them, and um, uh, the other the other soldiers went and made a prayer for them for the dead. Um, on their behalf to have the the sins that they committed right before death lifted off of them mm -hmm. so they can get, uh, you know, a um, die in God's good friendship, mm -hmm. right? But there's also other places that it is um, really explicitly in if you know how to look. So like Matthew 12, 32, whoever says a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but ever, whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven, either in this age or in the age to come. So saying that they will not be forgiven in the age to come implies very clearly that there is sins that can be forgiven in the age to come. So therefore, but what would the why would that age not be like another generation? Or there's a lot of different interpretations for age. How do we mm -hmm. interpret that? Well, as well we that? we know very clearly that this is an age, mm -hmm. right? And and it's confined to the experience of time. That is a mystery, even in, in our own records of, you know, space and time and what we're trying to figure out in our own intellectual ability of, of moving closer to what time is here and now, mm -hmm. which we don't have an absolute understanding mm -hmm. of. But this is clearly an age. And if there is an age to come mm -hmm. prior to this sense of what is in eternity. Yeah. So there's 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 a, a sense of eternity and infinity and being in the presence of God in the beatific vision. What that is clearly that that is an age unto itself that's more more yeah. uh, great greatly defined as eternity. Right, and there, and he is mentioning salvation exactly, which exactly. Is a so this is an mark. age to come right. in the process yeah. of that. So if the sin against the Holy Spirit cannot be forgiven in the age to come, but there is forgiveness to be had there, well then that implies that in purgatory is real because those venial sins can be forgiven or expiated. Now, yeah. uh, there's also Matthew five twenty five twenty six. Uh, Settle with your opponent quickly while on the way to court with him. Otherwise, your opponent will hand you over to the judge, and the judge will hand you over to the guard, and you will be thrown into prison. Amen, I say to you, you will not be released until you have 
and until you have paid the last penny. That is so clear. That is purgatory. Jesus said that, right? Jesus said that. That's very clear as it relates to this. But I had an experience when I was a, a rebellious teenager. Uh-oh. No way. Yeah, one, just one experience. I, I, I changed my life after. No, there, there were many other uh, opportunities for that. Um, but we were surfing out in Ormond Beach, like near Daytona. And we were on the on A1A, and we were balling up wax, and, and we were throwing it at cars as they were driving by. And um, this one truck came by, and I walled, balled up a big bottom and just threw it up against the the truck and it made a loud sound and the truck swerved and came to an abrupt halt and pulled over guy jumped out he's screaming and yelling and called the cops on us and all sorts of things and um you know we're sitting there and a couple of my buddies they were yelling back and forth and i'm like this scripture came to mind right so i went over to him because we were at this point we were separated the cops were on the way and I walked over and I said, hey, man, I just, you know, I want to apologize. We're being stupid kids. And, <laughs> you know, like, and, and I just like, I just started petitioning him. And I'm like, we, we really didn't think of the gravity of our actions. You're helping us like think of <laughs> That's like, pretty good. you know, we, somebody could have gotten <laughs> a car, talk, somebody yeah. could have gotten a car accident. Yeah. And we didn't think of that. We're just being, we're just being foolish kids, man. And I just want to say, I apologize, you know, and I went over and, and the cop shows up and. And then the guy was like, look, I'm just letting it go, you know, let the kids go, blah, 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 blah. And, and that, that scripture always reminds me of that story. But that, that's really pretty accurate because. What well, is accurate that the, my, well, the what story? you said, but also on how, on how purgatory works. Right. So you will not be released until you have paid the last penny. So why is it necessary? Why do we have to have purgatory if Jesus has already won for us our salvation and paid the price for sin? Why is purgatory necessary in Catholic theology? And I think it's pretty simple and straightforward that sin has consequences, and it's not just one consequences. There's two very specific types of consequences. So if you've ever been in trouble with the law, I know no one at this table has. Say you steal a car. Say you and your friends are out, and you're maybe smoking weed, and you decide to steal a car, and it's pretty snowy out, and you're just going to Taco Bell, you're like 15 or 16, and you crash it into something, and then you ruin the car, and then you get in trouble, right? This is a very specific story. I'm, just, I'm yeah. just putting this out there, right? Hypothetically. Hypothetically. There's two sets of consequences there. There is the legal consequence, right? And then there's also the temporal comp- the consequence or the consequence that has to be made up. Now, the judge will say, you stole a car and you crashed it, right? So that means you now have to go 60 days in jail. But you also have to make good Retribution. Retribution. And retribution demands that you pay for this car. Mm -hmm. Jesus Christ. And what you damaged. And what you damaged. Jesus Christ has suffered the penalty for us by his crucifixion of the jail time. We do not owe jail time to the judge anymore because of that. But we still have to make reparation for the the damaged stuff, stuff, right? And that's the same way that uh, purgatory works. So Jesus Christ one for us, the forgiveness of our sins, but we still have to pay the time and the reparation for our attachment to sin mm-hmm. and the things that we've done. So that's why purgatory is so necessary. I think a lot of it's like in, in, in negative context, you know, you can place this in negative context, but the, the positive context, the, the beauty of this is that you're, you're now fully going to be able to embrace uh, Christ. You're fully going to be able to embrace heaven. You're fully going to be, whatever it is that he's called us to in this communion, this mystical communion, 
for all eternity, you're going to be able to embrace it fully, right? right? You're going to be able to leave behind this, this temporal reality all together for good and be in communion with Christ to the fullness. Who's ready for that know. truly when they die? Very, no, very but, few but I'm just saying, like the, the, neg- the negative part of it, it's, it, it's almost like a spiritual uh, uh, consequence of uh, it, it's, it's got to be, you yeah. know, that way. Right. Because you can't just like mm-hmm. it. I mean, here you can you can be sinful. Um, you can have sins and may not may not see them still and venial and still receive communion and still experience the love of God and poured out for you. Right. But this is like all perfect you know, heaven here. And, and if you, you know, got some blind sides, it's just shining the light on those. Now, you brought up something really important. Experience that contrition. You brought up something important. That there's a difference between venial sin and mortal sin. And venial sin and mortal sin really do have direct ties to the Catholic teaching on, on purgatory. So what, what is the difference between venial and mortal sin? Um, Venial sin in a greater part, and, and this is... I'm I'm engaging this concept of moral theology as it relates to purgatory, mm-hmm. but I'm I'm personally of the mindset sin is sin before a righteous God. Absolutely, but you know to to engage this this thought pattern, <clears throat> venial sin merits the minor absolution of mass. Mm-hmm. So calling to mind our sins, my brothers and sisters, let us petition God for His mercy. We say the confidier, we say, you know, Lord Jesus, you came to heal, et cetera, Lord, have mercy. And then the minor absolution, may almighty God have mercy on us, forgive us our sins and bring us to everlasting life. That, that is a form of absolution. Yep. Mm-hmm. Mortal sin, however, is clearly a, a more grave sin that merits the sacrament of reconciliation, a true act of conscientious effort, realizing the gravity of the sin Realizing that you have conceded your will to it, realizing that it's wrong, confessing it, and then receiving pardon and absolution and penance with the concept can, of reparation. Can you give me an example of, I mean, obviously the confessional is sealed, but can you give me an example of when somebody's done something or has come and asked for contrition where you were like, this is a wholesale disregard for God? And, uh, you know, because like... I mean, I look at like Satanist and like, and I look at, you know, people who are, you know, do really awful things. Like you're like, okay, like you put God in front of them, they just punch, right? Where, where is it that you've seen maybe in the confessional where this has happened to somebody, like an example where you're like, this is your wholesale, like. I, I don't know if this is exactly what you're, you're asking for, but it's the, the one occurrence that comes to mind most clearly in hospice, a penitent who had been a very, very obstinate person their entire life, away from the sacrament, away from the church for over 55 years, was very abusive to their spouse. Um, and and th- I won't go into the details of their sinfulness. Right. Nobody knows the penitent who I'm speaking of anyway. Right. But at the same time, to realize the accounting of one's sin and their whole life practically right. has been in obstinance. And and then to be there at that moment and to realize the contrition of his realization that his whole life yeah. been the emotion of that place, the 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 sense of of deep uh regret and and realization of what he had done. 
that was one of the most amazing experiences of my priestly life because you see God's mercy oh, yeah. and, and the indulgence that is before oh. him in this reality of the sacrament of reconciliation wow. wholesale. The yeah. inarticula mortis, the, the 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 plenary indulgence at the end of life. Yeah, but but I'm so like, he he received he received viaticum. He received. Yeah, he yeah, was yeah. conscious before his death. He received the apostolic pardon, the anointing, mm-hmm. all of these all of these realities of of the Food mercy. For the road, yeah. yeah, the mercy of God nearing his and death. S- and so this this man, at the point of his death, this contrition, this ultimate like turning towards God, this beautiful mercy. Does does a guy like that, after being absolved for his sins, does he have to go to purgatory? And that's that's a great question you know because, I mean? because it seems like it's like that was his purgatory I, on that deathbed. I always I always ask I always ask people you know who can we say scripturally is the one person we know beyond the shadow of a doubt that is in heaven, scripturally Dismas. speaking. Mary? Dismas, correct. Dismiss. Most uh, people say the Blessed Mother. Uh, Most people say Saint Joseph. Most people say you know Saint Paul you will be or, in paradise or John the Baptist, right? Yeah. So, but Jesus said in His own words, right? Today you will be with me in paradise. Ultimately, it's it's a mystery. It and, is. And what is the age to come? And in this purgatorial reality, what is what is heaven that we consider today? What is heaven as it relates to the new Jerusalem and the new heavens and the new earth yeah. when when our bodies are are subsumed and, and glorified? And, and, you know, we, we are renewed in bodily form. What does all that look like? Dude, it's a mystery. But at the same time, it's articulated, it's articulated and it's something to contemplate and think about. It's like, it's like, you know, a beautiful view off of a cliff. Like uh, what, what the, the church does is get you to that cliff so that you can experience this great beauty, this great mystery, this massive thing before you. So there's no, like, just because it's a mystery doesn't mean you like just turn around and walk away. You're like, yeah, here's the basketball. I'm going home. You know, it's like, you can, you can get there and contemplate it, you know, by, you know, moving through what the church teaches. And well, gathering. The church, I think that is a you phenomenal know? analogy because before the great ocean and the abyss of the unknown, we could sit there on the shore and look out and say, well, I know that there's fish out there. I know that there's fish that have been undiscovered. I know that there's sunken ships and buried treasure and all of these other things that I can quite, you know, easily, reasonably, reasonably say My it's football. out there. <laughs> <laughs> we got one out there. And, and, you know, Atlantis is out there somewhere. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Submerged cities are out there. And it's like, I, I can, <laughs> the Kraken. All of that is out there. And I could say it very um, confidently. confidently, but you can't say where it's at and exactly because that's not the place for the church to make those definitive yeah. statements. But when you do submerge yourself in the mystery of God's mercy and you go into a new age where you can exist in the ocean alone and the ocean itself, then when you encounter these realities, it's like that beatific vision. It's like, now I could see it for what it is. Yeah. It was submerged before. I, I knew it was out there, but now I'm seeing it face to face. And I, I yeah. do love that analogy. So heaven is kind of like goggles now. That's yeah, right. goggles and a snorkel. <laughs> so what is, the, what is the difference between mortal sin and venial sin? Um, and is mortal sin and venial sin in scripture? Absolutely. So in First uh, John chapter 5, uh, it says, if anyone sees his brother sinning, if the sin is not deadly, he should pray to God and he will give him life. This is only for those whose sin is not deadly. So right there, venial sin. There is such a thing as deadly sin about which I do not say that they should pray. All root, all wrongdoing is sin, but there is sin that is not deadly. So right there in scripture, 
there is venial sin and mortal sin. Now, I, I think a really good analogy for the difference between venial sin and mortal sin is a wound to the body because we are the body of Christ, right? A, a venial sin is like getting a scratch, right? And the body, when you get a scratch on your finger, the body can heal that through its natural processes, right? But if you get your finger cut off, the body can no longer heal that um, removed appendage. And that's what a mortal sin is, is it cuts you off from the body of Christ so that the whole body can no longer heal the wounded part. So it's the difference between a scratch and an amputation. Yeah, and and, and that's a good analogy. But again, like in the practice, where do you define? Well, for a sin to be mortal, three conditions must be met. It must yeah. be mortal sin is a sin whose object is grave matter and which is committed with full knowledge and deliberate consent. See, full knowledge and deliberate consent, it's so difficult for you to under like to to be able to judge that through. That's why I was asking you this question mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. is because in a confessional, where have you seen that full knowledge and consent, right? Mm-hmm. Like where I it wasn't it, met by it, habit and right. all other sources. So I know that if I miss- perfect example, the utter rejection of God by somebody who's doing mm-hmm. something just vile and whatever, right? Say they were like abused by their father and maybe it was through a Christian thing and mm-hmm. this is just caused this person to turn away from God. Mm-hmm. But it was a God that wasn't really the God that we know and that mm-hmm. so you have this abject like this this will, right? At what point does that become a symptom of an abusive situation of God mm-hmm, to mm-hmm. where they're turning away from something that is not God, mm-hmm. right? And then they're then they have this encounter with God and they have this ultimate contrition and confess, mm-hmm. right? See, these are the kind of things that I'm like conditionally. I, that's how I learn. Have right? you have you uh, have you ever seen Legends of the Fall, the Brad Pitt movie? No, a, a great book, great movie, um, and you know like. It goes to the point that sin is consequential, right? Mm-hmm. So yeah. there's okay. consequences, you know, yeah. and, and and subjective to the injury or the the wound of somebody else's sin that uh-huh. I've I've endured. Now that begets something inside of me that may it's turn towards sin. Yeah. So I have a I have a great brother. Well, in in the movie, it's Brad Pitt's character. He comes to a point where he damns God, mm-hmm. you know. And, and there was reason why he did, mm. he lost his brother, mm. you know, in, yeah. in the war and he, and he cries out and he, he cut out his brother's heart and took his brother's heart. I mean, he went into this very grave darkness mm-hmm. and, and he's damning the name of God, mm. but you see this redemptive circle that turns back toward the end of the movie after he's endured and suffered so much this a spoiler back into the father's <laughs> father's affection. <laughs> It's like the prodigal son, okay. twist of prodigal son, right? Yeah, and yeah, and yeah, it's yeah. a powerful movie. I highly recommend it. But there's a brother that I'm serving right now that I have a lot of love for, man. He's a, he's a brother in the military, and one of his best friends died. Yeah. And he turned his back on God. And I know he feels bad about it. Mm-hmm. And I know that that he's he's rejected. He grew up very strong Catholic. Yeah. You know, he's very strong in the Knights of Columbus and all of that stuff. And he's been away from God for a while. He's starting to come back to church little by little. He's inching closer and closer to confession. But but ultimately, there's reason why. Th- that That is not—this is very rare. This is very, very rare where someone fully, consciously, with knowledge— completely rejects the Holy Spirit, completely rejects God. Is it possible? Absolutely. Yeah. But it's like possession. We, we've had episodes on the demonic and, and possessions. So it's important to realize those, those fine tuning yeah. when, it com- when it comes to that. 
So kind of speaking to your point, like on the gravity of sin and the knowledge of sin. So the catechism also really instructs us on that. And uh, I'll put this link there, but everyone should read the catechism because it's very clear. But grave matter, which would mean a mortal sin, it says grave matter is specified by the Ten Commandments, uh, corresponding to the answer to Jesus of the rich man. Do not kill. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. Right. So the gravity of sins is ordered more or less great, right? So mortar, uh, mortar, murder <laughs> is greater than theft, but one must also take into account who was wrong. So violence against parents isn't itself a greater um, violence than uh, murder against a stranger. Hmm. So there's gravity and order based on the Ten Commandments, and those Ten Commandments essentially dictate the gravity of the sin. Now, I didn't know that. Right. Now, mortal sin requires full and complete consent for it to be mortal sin. Um, but that doesn't mean that people who have uh, unintentional ignorance are completely free from it, right? Or even if they have um, problems like abuse or whatever, right? Sins against natural law, which is imprinted in everyone's souls, even if they don't know specifically the church's command on a certain right, thing. Yeah, yeah. Even somebody who has never heard of the church, murder is still a grave sin. Even if in their culture, murder is not. Right. So if, if you're in a, uh, a tribal culture where murder is completely accepted, it is still a mortal sin, even if you objectively, have no, objectively, because yeah. it goes against natural law, which God imprints in everyone's heart. So that, that kind of gets rid of some of that uh, relaxing of culpability when it, when it's against well, it's like the scripture passage where you know you you get treated lightly, mm-hmm. right? In in terms of well, leniency your and sentence, being treated, your, yeah, sentence, your you sentencing yeah. could be lenient. You said you know, think of a first offense, yeah, right? You know, it's a it's a warning, or you know, yeah. in in case you did not realize. Let me form your conscience. Right. 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 Let me let me give you the knowledge of how this affects right. people. But the person still shouldn't go to communion right after that. I mean, it's like there's well, still right. like mortal sin is receiving communion when you know that you've missed mass the week before. That is yeah. a mortal sin. Yeah. I mean, and that happens a lot. All the time. Mm-hmm. Missing mass is a mortal sin. Yeah. Just is. You don't go. That's a mortal sin. Unless you get a dispensation from a priest. Yeah, unless you have the proper reason. But those types of things, if you die in those mortal sins, you do not get purgatory. You get hell. And I mean, that is very clear. And I have no one wants I am to say the Lord that. your God. You should have no other gods before me. Right. That's the first commandment. And, and so and, if you're and, and talking the about the, in the order of gravity, mm-hmm. that is the biggest one. Right. Wow. So missing mass, mortal That should sin. be preached every it, Easter. It, it, and it used to be. But now everyone's like, everyone's like, I don't know. The, it's the Browns versus the Texans. I'm, you know. Yeah. I'm going to go to BW3's Neat Wings and miss Mass. Okay, I hope hell's worth it. You know? <laughs> I think after the helmet incident, the Browns should be excommunicated from the NFL. <laughs> no, we need... <laughs> Attempted murder. He's culpable. Yeah, but it was against a stranger, so it's less gravity. <laughs> Gosh. Come on, free Miles Garrett. All right, so, but what is... <laughs> What is purgatory actually like? Is purgatory a place of fire and suffering, or is it something different that is more supernatural? Is it an actual place, or is it a condition of the soul? Um, There's actually a couple, there's been a lot of visions of purgatory. Mm -hmm. There's actually, I think it's in Rome, or possibly in Paris, but there's a museum, it's called the Museum of Purgatory, where it's 
souls from t- purgatory reaching out for prayers to people in this world, like the uh, the sinner in Abraham's bosom, saying just for a drop of water, right? And there's all these items that have been touched and scorched by the hands of people in purgatory. Um, so can you go to hell from purgatory? No. Okay. No, once you've gone to purgatory, well, you're like, yeah, man. Yeah, yeah, yes. No, ultimately you're being purged. Your your sins are being purged, and you're and you've made it. (laughs) But that's that's exactly the the situation. So Saint Faustina uh, actually had a vision of purgatory, and it's in her diary. And she she said her guardian angel took her there. And it was a misty place full of fire, which is a great crowd of suffering souls. And they're praying fervently, but to no avail because they can't pray for themselves. Only the church militant can come to their aid. Only that is the things that can uh, lessen their time. Right. Uh, and the flames, they said, she said, were not that were, were burning them. Right. And she asked what the soul's greatest suffering in purgatory was. And they said it was the longing for God. And then Faustina also saw Our Lady in purgatory. So Our Lady is always helping the souls in purgatory. Yeah, if you have perfect contrition, you're, you're sad and your, your sadness comes from this longing for God. That you Absolutely. Have. And in her vision, all the souls in purgatory called Our Lady the star of the sea, and she brings them refreshment. And she brings them just a little bit of coolness to lessen their suffering. But it was a place of deep, deep suffering. Mm-hmm. And what's interesting is Star Stella Maris. Maris That's is, Sea of Mercy. It will see. No, it's it's Sea of uh, Bitterness. Sea of Bitterness. So so the sense of like the, we, the fact that she is a star, that she is a light. Uh, and the tears and it, of the salt. Yeah. yeah, the Sea of, of Bitterness is just a, a pretty interesting image as it relates to purgatory. Uh, another saint that had an image of purgatory is uh, St. Catherine of Genoa. And she said, no tongue can tell or explain or mind understand the grievousness of purgatory. Mm-hmm. Um, I saw in purgatory as much pain as, as in hell. So the pains of purgatory are as bad as hell. Yet, <laughs> this is not. yet see the soul with the least stain of imperfection accepting purgatory as though it were a mercy. So they're, they are gladly suffering these pains that are as grave as the pains of hell, but they know that it's for a good cause. It's not out of obstinate. So that the pain and the stain of the of purgatory with them, they have the full understanding that it's love. Um, you know, how I, reluctant are we to suffer today? You know, how quickly do we run away from it or try to find different escapes or move our minds away from what we're suffering, distractions yeah. and all of this other stuff. Yeah. But if, you know, what do the saints prove? Yeah. The saints actually lean in to the suffering and embrace it as the cross and follow yeah. Christ. In Christ the, the victim. Yeah. And, and they enter into their victimhood here before yeah. purgatory. And yeah. that's why the saints are the examples for us that move into the process of what we truly believe is the heavenly reality now today. Yeah. And, and you know, they, they do not have to suffer what is purgatorial because they have been purged here on earth mm-hmm. right? and they've complied. So is purgatory a place of fire and, it, you know, is it this pain, this place of torture like hell? Is it a temporal place? Um, there's a lot of conflicting ideas because no one knows for certain. Um, like two a day football. <laughs> there, there was a there was a mystic who had a, a vision of uh, purgatory 
and everyone was wearing brown robes. Um, and there was a, a sense of deep contemplation and, and very somber waiting. Um, there was no uh, social interaction, almost like silence. Mm -hmm. uh, you could think of a, a monastery uh, in that, you know, a very strict order of like a Trappist uh, monastery that's uh, strictly observing silence and, and penance. You could do that. Um, you know, like th that's another vision of, of, of purgatory. So there's multiple visions out there. Um, what it actually is, is down to the very core of the, of the word. Um, and what we receive is God's indulgence and his mercy in the process of purging us. You know, Benedict the 16th, who I, I go to time and time again, right? So he would, he says his understanding of purgatory is probably more towards what you've said. And he wrote that purgatory is not as Tertullian thought, some kind of super worldly, super worldly concentration camp where man is forced to undergo punishment in more or less an arbitrary fashion. Rather, it is the inwardly necessary process of transformation in which a person becomes capable of Christ, capable of God, and thus capable of unity with the whole community of saints. And then he says something that I think is really awesome, is that the flames of purgatory are not external flames burning you up. They are the flames of, they're internal flames, and they're the flames of, God's love in your heart, burning away your attachment to sin. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of the other I thought is, well, there's this purgatory that is uh, more or less indistinguishable from hell, except for the ability to escape by the prayers of the faithful and the um, intercession of Our Lady. And then there's also the internal, more contemplative purgatory. And I would say that I don't know which one it is. And, and that's why it's good to contemplate the mystery, to look at private revelation like St. Faustina, like a number of these other mystics who have had visions of purgatory, but to, to look at what the church teaches and like the ocean to stand on the shore of it and to contemplate what is being accomplished there and begin to image what that place is. And if there is a way to enter into a purgatorial state now in your life, why should you wait? Because this is the time to work out your sins with fear and trembling before God's righteousness. Now, you spoke of something really interesting, time, right? How long is purgatory? How long is Ryan Delacroix going to be in purgatory? How many flames are going to be toasting my rear end? That's what I'm wondering. <laughs> Who knows? <laughs> right. So people always say, well, okay, how long are you in purgatory? And this is going to evolve into our conversation on indulgences, which take away specific sets amount of time in purgatory. Yeah, it's like a joke, like, you know, you know, something bad happens to you or you had to endure something or even... It's oh, that's even time off purgatory. Yeah. yeah, it's like time off purgatory. You get time off purgatory for that. So how long is purgatory? Is it an instantaneous, um, out of, uh, you know, out of linear time experience where you experience this internal flame of contemplation? Or is it a prison sentence that you have to pay and you do not get released until the last penny is paid? I think drawing from the scripture that you shared before, there's an age mm -hmm. to it. So it's there's clearly an associated time. I don't think it's within the temporal grasp of what we well, experience got, yeah. here on earth. Think about the the consciousness of time related to dreams. You know, it, you could hop into a dream, only sleep for, you know, a short period of time, but it feels like you've been in a dream for a very long time. Mm -hmm. So, you know, even in our own waking consciousness or our own recollective dream state, you know, there's, there's 
differences in time. And like I shared mm-hmm. before, we don't have an absolute understanding of time and space. We're continuing right. to understand more about it. Well, the age to come is going to be very different mm-hmm. in, in my understanding. And But it will be a passage of time. There will be an awareness of the passage of time. Mm-hmm. And before God and eternity, when we step into that reality of what eternal life is, I think that's a whole different degree of, of experiential encounter with God and being upheld in his mercy for yeah. all eternity. So, like, I mean, even time is, is an imposition of, of our own understanding of it, which is limited just for chronology, mm-hmm. right? I mean, it's like... Yeah. Relativity. Yeah. yeah. So a lot of the old understanding of indulgences, like, um, you know, in the Enchiridion and the Recolta, right, they had a specific amount of time removed in purgatory so for an indulged act. So you do this or that, whatever, and you get 60 days off in purgatory. Does that mean that, you know, in your 3,000 years, it's now 2,999 years and 60 days off of that? Is that how indulgences work? No. Okay. The amount of time off tied to an indulged act is really more specifically on the amount of uh, reparations as it were if you were doing this on earth. So if you were to do a 60-day penance, right? So if you went to confession, and this was more common in the old days when confession only happened a few times a year, uh, they'd say, okay, you're a sinner and do this. This is your penance for the next 60 days. You need to do this. So it was a 60-day penance, and that amount of reparation is what is commensurate with these indulged acts. So it's not 60 days off of this atemporal state between heaven and hell. It's not like a timeline where you get two months off your calendar. It really is a weighted system where if you had done this amount of reparation on earth for 60 days, this is the same value it has in purgatory. That's where that time thing of purgatory comes from. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. I, I miss, you know, the, I never experienced it, but you miss a through, church you didn't know. Yeah, re- exactly. Reading through the history, you know, when these intense penances were applied, you know, man, to to focus that intently, you know, as opposed to going to confession and say, okay, go uh, say in our father, Hail Mary, and the glory be, and you know, go think about what you've done. Go, that, like that's the Thanks. that would be the worst. Again, um, <laughs> I, I try to get penances associated with with the the penitent sins uh-huh. um, without re- without, without revealing, revealing correct, right. which is that's that's, that's a, a fine line to to be able to cover. But yes, um, but think of the movie The Mission. Re- you remember, yeah. you know, like that penance of like climb with all the, the all of his uh, equipment on his back and you know climbing up the mountain and, and the waterfall or whatever. You know, very very symbolic. But man, like. 90 day penance. Think Exodus. Think about Exodus 90. (laughs) Right. Yeah. 90 days. You're going to do Exodus 90 for your penance. For your penance. And you're not going to receive communion until Until you satisfy your penance. Oh. That is the way it should be. And I I would venture to agree because. It, it creates that sense. I'm going to work it. and 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 Earn and try it, yeah. my very best and long for this communion, yeah. and I'm I'm going to really discipline myself mm-hmm. because I want communion with Christ. Same thing with these children. I, I think it's the most beautiful thing when they come up for for holy communion and they're like two, three years old, and they're like you know reaching. They they really want to receive, and and I you know I always say got to wait a little bit longer. You know, you've got to go through your studies. You got to know what you're doing. I'm excited. We're going to, we're going to do, you know, but 
it's like that anticipation, that longing needs to to build up. How yeah. much more would you appreciate communion when you came back after a ninety day penance? How much more? How sweeter would that yeah. taste? You know? It's the same thing with my with my couples that are cohabitating. Yeah. yeah, it's not it's not a perfect situation. I meet them where they are, and I try to impose different conditions on their relationship, and I call them out, and I and I encourage them, and I and I strongly and boldly say like. You know, try to live separate, brother and sister. Brother and sister, do not do not be intimate. Mm-hmm. And whenever a couple responds to my challenge, when when they come to their marriage day, they express to me how grateful they are after they experience yeah. that, yeah. and they've longed to be together, right? And and you know, look, we're we're all not perfect, yeah. you know, and and some of us have striven to be greater and and more virtuous. That's a wonderful thing, but God meets us where we are. And he calls us to greater discipline. And I, I I hope that we as a church, and we do have an episode on Vatican III, we should probably throw in there, I'll you know, the, the sacrament of reconciliation, right. uh, maybe in, a, in another episode where we talk about Vatican III. But, you know, that whole sense of, of how we are applying this sacrament pastorally, we should probably look at that again, because I don't think we're doing a lot of good uh, in the area of reparation. I, I agree well, nobody's at all. going. And, and that's that's uh, a good I mean, that's like, a good point. Yeah, but there. you know, if people were going and getting these kind of penances, there would be more gravity to it than instead of all right, psh, psh, out the door with you, lights going off. I'm that's going. True. You know, yeah, it true. makes it a more uh, weighted thing. Now, the, the biggest penance I ever got was to read the Book of James. I was like, huh? You sure? <laughs> you like, sure? Yeah, 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 yeah well, I'm sure. And then you love like, I'm, I'm really, am I that bad? No, I'm good. I'm good. <laughs> <laughs> it was that guy. It was that guy. <laughs> it was that guy, dude. So uh, you, uh, <laughs> you mentioned our sponsors. <laughs> that guy. I know that story too. So you mentioned our sponsors. Why don't you tell everyone about who sponsors our show? We want to give a big shout out to our sponsors, Exodus ninety as well as Hallow. Exodus 90 is a great program out there for all men considering taking the next step in their faith journey. With other brothers, they spend 90 days living austerely and praying and performing different acts of penance and austerity. Now, I've done this experience. Cold showers aren't too bad. And praying through Exodus can only give you a greater sense of an impetus to break through the chains of your own life with other brothers finding greater freedom in the prayer life. We also want to recognize our sponsor, Hallow, a great application that has quickly become the number one prayer app on the App Store. So be sure to check out Hallow, and there you'll find all these beautiful prayers that they've uploaded, from daily meditations to rosary to scripture, Lexio Divina, and so much more. These young people were inspired by the applications like Calm that are out there, and this helps people calm down and meditate and center their thoughts. Well, this is a great form of meditative prayer in the Catholic tradition that's being driven through an application. Hallow creates a wonderful sense of our Catholic heritage of prayer, and they have just about everything, and they're continuing to expand their product as time goes on, so be sure to check them out. And if you do, visit their website and use the promo Catholic Talk Show, and you'll get premium contact for, for content for 30 days. And by using that, you'll be able to explore their full capacity of what they're offering. So be sure to check out Hallow, a great app for prayer. All right, thanks, Padre, and thank you again to our uh, sponsors. So you're welcome. Thank you. What about me? Am I welcome too? You're welcome too. You're You're welcome. welcome. You have an indulgence, buddy, from me to you. 
I'm catching it. Do you know the whole the whole word indulgence comes from the Latin root indulgere, which means to be lenient or to be kind in the face of an infraction of mm. some sort. I like you know? that. Mm-hmm. I should use that with my kids. Yeah, you should give indulgences. <laughs> you know, like S- Scott Hahn, he does he does these like you know like the Year of Mercy or whatever. Like I, I read this story of how. You know, he, he does these festivals of mercy for his children and he brings them in and they can confess anything that they had done. Isn't that Festivus? <laughs> for the rest of us? For the rest of us. Here's the poll. Here's yeah. I got a lot of problem with you people. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, like the, his kids will come to him and confess and, and cry and there is no there's no penalty whatsoever. There's no consequence. It's a time of mercy. Oh, I'd and be thinking I think of ways. I'd be like, I'm stealing Scott. I'm stealing, I, I'm stealing Daddy Han's car tonight, and I'm Dad. getting wild. And then tomorrow I'm like, yeah. what the, up, Jubilee, the Jubilee, the Jubilee's coming tomorrow. Sorry, Dad. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, I stole your checkbook. Oh, the presumption. S- yeah. Sorry, I stole your car like you steal everything from the church fathers for your books. <laughs> oh, <laughs> the presumption <laughs> of mercy. The presumption of mercy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that, that doesn't work. It, it doesn't, doesn't work. That's the condition. Right. Yes. So yeah. what is an indulgence? According to the catechism, an indulgence is the remission before God of the temporal punishment due to sins whose guilt has already been forgiven. Right? So to what now? Huh? An indulgence huh? is a remission before God of the temporal punishment to sins whose guilt has already been forgiven, which the faithful Christian who is disposed to gain them under the categories and the and the requirements of gaining an indulgence under prescribed actions through the actions of the church, which is the minister of redemption, dispenses and applies the authority of the treasury of the sanctification of Christ and the saints. That's a lot. What does that all mean? Praise the Lord. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Let's unpack that. Hey, Richard. Hey, Ryan. Yeah. Let's unpack that, right? It is the remission before God of the temporal punishments of a sin whose guilt has already been forgiven. So that is Christ paid the price for our sins, but this, an indulgence is that fine, right? You have your jail time and you have your fine. An indulgence helps take care of the fine. Gotcha. Right? Jesus took care of the jail time. That's what that part means. Now, how is the church able to give it? They are the authority of the treasury of the satisfactions of Christ. Christ and the saints through their actions, through Christ's perfect actions and the saints um, modeling their lives after Christ have a super abundance of expiation or satisfaction of sins. Their cupeth overfloweth. Exactly. And the church is able to say, there is more than this one needs. We are going to take this as the (coughs) distributor of the graces of Christ through his authority and apply it to you in mercy. They're kind of like a uh, charitable fund or something. That's, like that's that. exactly what it is. Or the mercy of God. That's that is a perfect. Do they way have to like describe. an accounting for it? Like we gave an indulgence here. Oh, it's too much. There's not enough abundance uh, up there for that. Hey is guys, we are uh, running very low. <laughs> we are running very low on those St. Patrick uh, uh, graces, right? Yeah. <laughs> we need to pick these numbers up. Oh, we got to get these numbers up. No, the point is that through Christ, his acts, um, there's more than could ever be used. Yeah, okay. There's more than can ever be used. Okay. And the church, as the administer of mercy in our world, 
is able to dispense those through the fire hoses. Right. Oh, just God, psh- yeah. right. Mm-hmm. So that's what an indulgence is. Now, now, can Father Rich impart an indulgence on somebody or would that be somebody of a hierarchical uh, position? Or? The, the, the Pope and the, uh, and do they have the to apostolic be in, penitentiary. penitentiary. Do they have to be in good grace? I mean, because no. so the, it, the apostolic penitentiary person. is, is a, they don't it sounds distri- like a place you go to jail for the time. They and don't they, distribute it. They set up the conditions and then it's free to take if you can meet the conditions. Okay. They don't they don't say here you go. And that's a big misunderstanding. And we'll get into that. Like, does the church sell indulgences or did it, right? At mm-hmm. the penitentiary. Right. At the penitentiary. That's kind of funny because it's a penitentiary. <laughs> but you know, like the apostolic blessing, the the um the sins that are reserved to the Holy Father and the Holy Father alone. Um, special graces and indulgences that come from the Holy Father's tribunal office of the apostolic penitentiary. All of these, all of these realities are ultimately driven in mercy. And it is because the Holy Father is the vicar of Christ. He, he is the successor of St. Peter himself. And through the apostolic foundations or the apostolic blessing that is handed down through the apostolic church, this is an incredibly afforded grace for people that is free, that yeah. is that is gratis, that is a complete outpouring of the mercy of God. And it's important to realize that this has been celebrated in the heritage of the faith from the very apostolic roots of our church. And was what it you mis- bind in heaven will be bound in Correct. heaven. What you, what you loose on earth will be will loosed be loose. on earth. And, and it's right there in the scriptures and it is put into practice, but there is mispractice along the way where people misuse right. indulgences for self gain. But or those priests, indulgences like, were not granted. They're not granted yeah, they because they didn't it, it, satisfy. Exactly. They're, they're, yeah. in, they're ineffective because like, yeah, I'm, I'm Rich Pagano. I happen to have a collar. I have a valid ordination. I'm going to use my collar for my own self benefit yeah. and my own yeah. self gain. And then distribute something that God can only distribute through you me. You can't get, he doesn't, he can't distribute what's not his to right, get. Right. Correct. And then, but when I try to, what happens is corruption. The book of Galatians actually talks about this very, very clearly that the the spirit is rooted in the generativity of, of self-offering and self-gift, self-denial, and, and, and that sense of giving without counting the cost that is so rooted in St. Ignatius of Loyola and his teachings and the foundation of the Jesuit order. But the, the, that whole sense of giving without counting the cost, that is where the spirit is conferred by way of open channels of charity. But once there is accounting, Cost. once there is like, I'm trying to take this to myself for my own self gain, what comes by way of that is corruption and destruction. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. So you're talking about corruption and when people think of indulgences, they typically think, well, well, Martin Luther, that's what caused the reformation and the church doesn't actually teach indulgences anymore. And that's, that all ended after that. <laughs> they could not be further from no, the, the church. No, the church still has and indulgences. And we need them now more than ever. Absolutely. And they're a beautiful free gift. They so are. didn't, you know, Martin Luther is, you know, essentially there's this priest going around, uh, Johannes Tetzel. And I think he was just a really good salesman. <laughs> That's my read of the situation. Tetzel. 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 He was running around and selling the indulgences. That's right. Tetzel, yeah. And Tetzel. He took this because... Schnetzel, Tetzel. <laughs> when they were building... Here comes Tetzel again, <laughs> selling those indulgences. Schnetzel. So when they were um, rebuilding St. Peter's, each area um, were kind of charged mm-hmm. with creating a fund to... Everyone were contributing to build St. Peter's. Well, Tetzel was the in Germany. Pope's stewardship appeal. Right, pretty much. This was like the second collection in the Middle <laughs> Ages, right? Or the early 
uh, renaissance. But so Tetzel was basically doing this in Germany and he had come up with a jingle, right? He's like, every time a coin in the coffer rings, a soul from purgatory springs, right? He was just a good salesman. And uh, Luther got all bent out of shape about this and started talking about justification and the book of Romans and everything. Um, but the church wasn't selling indulgences. This is a couple dudes doing things and the indulgences were not even being sold because they don't happen if they're not met by the proper requirements, right? If the people trying to buy these indulgences were trying to buy them, they couldn't get them because they were trying to buy them illicitly. It doesn't work like that. You can't, you cannot buy an indulgence because it wouldn't work ipso facto that it is an indulgence. It's kind of like it negates itself. So the church never sold indulgences. But after the Reformation, the Council of Trent very clearly stated, uh, being desirous that the abuses which have crept in, Tetzel being too good at his job, and by the occasion which is honorable, name of indulgences blasphemed by heretics, Luther, be amended and corrected. It ordains generally by this decree that all evil gains for obtaining thereof a most prolific cause of abuses against the Christian people has been deprived and it shall be wholly abolished. So anybody who even attempted to sell uh, an indulgence, even though they couldn't, were anathematized. Mm -hmm. I mean, they could not be more clear. The church does not, never has, and cannot it, sell. Heaven. That's what upsets me about people selling relics. And I've seen it in different places of my travels. People selling relics of saints. Yeah. yeah. Oh, it just... I thought, so can I just go into the Vatican and, and have one of the nuns in that place just, you know, give me a slice of hair or something from someone? No, I mean, you can't even go to him and he's one of your, one of our friends and he won't give us one of his, yeah. you, he's his hairs. you want me you to know split what? hairs? Yeah, you're splitting hairs. You're splitting <laughs> hairs. We're splitting hairs. Come on. Look, when we go to Jacksonville next time, yeah, we're not leaving until we get that. <laughs> yeah. So no, no, you can't, they you can't sell those again. That's, that is a mortal sin. To sell a relic. It is mortal sin. Yeah, it's absolutely wrong. And no, the church never sold mm -hmm. indulgences. But and the church still has indulgences. And um we should we should I'll be out there trying to get them. Mm -hmm. there, and there's a yeah. lot of ways to do that. And it's it's the same relationship between the selling of sacraments. You mm -hmm. don't sell a sacrament. The, yeah. the sacraments are freely given. Yeah. Um, you know, treating that or or even putting it into writing. There there's been some documentation that I've seen in different churches as it relates to marriage, baptism, you know, uh the the celebration of mass and a stipend associated with it. All of that, you get into some risky verbiage and oh, yeah. risky words when Prayers. you when you start, you know, putting and it's 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 uh, kind of proclaiming uh, something to the sacraments to the general public that you really don't want to proclaim yeah. that that you're charging simony. for something like that. It's, they call simony. It's right? terrible. Mm -hmm. Yeah. All right. Now there is conditions for getting an indulgence, right? And this is important to cover. So we can't end this episode without covering them because people out there be out there trying to get indulgences and not able to get them. So there, the conditions for getting an indulgence are, and I'll, I'll post this, is you have to first have sacramental confession, you have to receive communion, you have to pray for the intention of the Holy, Holy Father, Father, and they should all be performed within days of each other, if not at the same, same time. time yeah. Now, to, grant, to achieve a uh, plenary indulgence, you also have to have a perfect and complete detachment from sin. That's and the hard one. That's the one that you can... Plenary, what's the difference between an indulgence and a plenary indulgence? So there's a partial 
indulgence and a plenary okay. indulgence, which plenary is a complete is remission. Plenary yeah. indulgence is a complete. So you have to be remission. a saint to get one. Gotcha. More or less, plenary yeah, indulgence basically. is wiping out everything. Impo- impossible. So if you do try to Not achieve, impossible. But all things are possible. Very hard. Yeah. So that's why plenary indulgences, although many opportunities to get them, are very rare that they are actually affected. Yeah. So. But that's but okay. We must strive but, for it. But yeah. if you do miss that and do satisfy all the other conditions, you still receive a partial indulgence if you are trying to achieve a plenary indulgence. I'm gonna, yeah, I'm going to try a bunch of partials, see if they add up to a plenary. I don't know if that math will work. <laughs> so, but there's a, there's a thing Maybe. called the Enchiridion of indulgences, and it shows you all the different things you could do to achieve an indulgence, like certain prayers, like the... Uh, Angel of God prayer, their anima Christi, right? And the conditions. And I'll post this. It is all the ways that you can get an indulgence and the conditions you need to do that. Now, um, the last thing we need to talk about, and I'm going to put this as the Inquisition. Inquisition. I knew it. All right. Knew it was coming. A lot of people say that the Catholic Church no longer teaches limbo. What are your thoughts? Is limbo a reality or not? And limbo for everyone who might not know, is unbaptized babies who oh. die without committing Baptism. any sins but have not been baptized. They do not. They would necessarily have mortal sin on them because they have not been baptized, and they do not have the intellect to desire have a baptism of desire. So do they go to hell or do they go to heaven without baptism, which would negate the absolute mm-hmm. necessity of baptism, or do they go to hell without committing mortal sin? Where do they go? So I grew up with my grandmother teaching me about limbo because she was catechized uh, in in that respect. And then obviously the church changed the the verbiage and the position on limbo. And, you know, for me personally and pastorally speaking, you know, what I focus on in relationship to someone who has a miscarriage or there is an unbaptized child that, that passes away without baptism Ultimately, it is God's mercy that is present most perfectly in these states. And I've been there with families and I have encountered God's mercy over and over and over again. And again, like purgatory being that place of purgation for me personally, that is precisely what is being purged. And that is my prayer for these children that have not been baptized or have been miscarried in a great place of suffering. God's consolation is there just like the visions of the blessed Virgin Mary in purgatory offering that consolation. Purgatory is a consolation to people. And not that I've ever gone into a great explanation to any of my families or any of my couples that have suffered miscarriage, but, and and talked about purgatory. No, you know, I, I talk about God's mercy Mm -hmm. and, and that's the way that I, I look at it. Limbo is, is treated in that same manner of, of, in a sense of purgatory, um, in the tradition, it's but just I'm, not it's through not the sacramental so, window. No. It's so, not through the sacramental. So limbo is considered traditionally as a state kind of on the outside of both realms where it is perfect happiness, perfect natural happiness, mm-hmm. but not perfect supernatural happiness. And it is a specific grace that God grants to the unbaptized mm-hmm. infants. And there's two places. There's the limbo of the fathers, which would have been like Abraham and Moses, which who could not get to heaven before the sacrifice of Christ. And then the limbo of babies and the limbo of babies. Well, I'm sorry. The limbo of the fathers would have been like the the bosom of Abraham where they waited. And that's where Christ would have harrowed on Holy Saturday. Mm-hmm. Okay. 
The limbo of babies is perfect natural happiness, but because they are not baptized, they cannot have perfect supernatural happiness. See, and I, I just think we, I just think we put ourselves in a position of just, uh, you know, obviously we want to logically try to figure all this stuff out philosophically and work it into mm. a theology. Yeah. But you know, I, I just think we, you know, breaking it down to there's a purgation of original sin and God's mercy. The way that I look at these children. They they have no personal sin. Right. There, but, there but, is, they have, but they have original sin. They have original sin. They don't have personal mm-hmm. sin. Yep. But so how can you get into heaven with the, with original by way sin? God's by way of God's mercy in the same baptismal justice. Is, you know, so, I mean, is so that, like is that I'm just not, for I'm a not baby going to get aborted. I'm not and, going and to send absolutely. Them to hell and they, no, they're not going to hell. Well, but they haven't even, been baptized, so right. they still have the sin of. So and, and so again, this is why the church. This is why the church is not going out there and proclaiming limbo. Yeah, but if you remove limbo then you're basically undermining the whole concept of, of uh, original sin. And if you don't have, a, look, if someone can get into heaven with original sin, then you don't need the sacrifice of Christ. You don't. Correct. So then if people with original sin can get into heaven, again, that whole house of card com- crumbles. So Without the, limbo. So is the, blessing, at, is the blessing of the child in the womb effective? In that, in that concept, are you baptizing? No. Are you baptizing the child? I'm asking you a question. There is a there is a ritual of blessing for a child in the womb. Why would you do it if they're Why not would baptized? You do it? And would it dumb. be effective? I don't know. I mean, is, in that opinion, is, is in the, the, the opinion that you're presenting philosophically, you, it would the, actually say no. It's is not the blessing effective. of food or of an object valid, even though yes, of course it's valid. It's a blessing, but it is not baptism. But do not relate that to a child in but the womb. Don't re, but don't relate made in the image and likeness of God. Don't relate baptism. And blessing I'm, is the I'm same not, thing. I'm not. But at the same time, I'm not limiting God's mercy. I'm not either, but I'm just saying. And there is no, there is no separation in, in the, you know, the, the light shines on, you know, sinner and saint in the yeah. world. Yeah, but I'm, I'm not, I'm not limiting God's mercy as it relates to children it's a, it's who a private, it, it's, were miscarried or This aborted. is a personal, like, thing. Of, the church of, has no definitive no, statement they don't. on limbo. And, and personally, I feel that God is complete and utter justice. And like, not only definitive, that, 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 that baptism, that if he can just make himself turn into a piece of bread, if he can baptize somebody, he can... He can do whatever he wants. And not only has the church... <laughs> like, this is, this is what and I feel. And he did. And what he wanted no, no, was no, no. to send he, his son he to be did, sacrificed. And he still does. God, God is, is, is still doing supernatural things. See, now, mm-hmm. I, this is one area so, where I disagree with Benedict XVI because people say the church no longer teaches limbo because Benedict XVI actually said, we are kind of released a document, um, the hope for salvation for infants... To die, who die without being baptized, and this was done through the International Theological Commission. And I'm at odds with Pope Benedict on this one. And I think most of the people who push for the kind of de-emphasis on limbo kind of come from the Balthazar School of Theology. Uh, but I just think Whatever that with, that is. I just think that without <laughs> limbo, there's so many cards that then fall that the domino effect. I, really I, changes, and I just don't. Think I mean, clearly we're at we're at odds. We're at odds. I mean, the uh, once again, once I mean again. The, the the whole sense of the church not being definitive about this. It's not even just not only definitive; it's relaxed the position of limbo. It, it, it never had a position. It, it doesn't have one. It never did. The only time it was actually mentioned was in one document in 1793, and it was saying that people who teach children that there isn't limbo are scandalous. Mm-hmm. So, but I just think that. 
The need for baptism is what can get rid of original sin. And Christ came to destroy original sin. So without limbo, if people can make it to heaven, if there is these kinds of exceptions, then a lot of the theological house of cards starts to crumble. So in my role of the inquisitor in the inquisition, I'm lopping your head off. But if it were another inquisitor, you probably would have gotten free. Well, I, I believe that. If it was Benedict, I believe was much I, smarter I than me. I think this limits God's mercy. Correct. To, and, to, uh, to something that's not not spiritually adequately understood. And right? you can't you can't speak definitively yeah, about you this. Can't. And that's let me say this. But, but in the, my father's house there are many rooms, mm -hmm. okay? And if you want to categorize limbo as a room maybe in the outhouse of the kingdom, <laughs> there's there's a room. Well, no, okay? because limbo And I've been there. You have not been there. Been Maybe you have. Where have you been? With, 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 I've been with many, many families oh, with so abortion funny. and yeah. miscarriage yeah, yeah, yeah. I constantly over and over again, mm -hmm. and I've seen God's merciful hand. Now, I worship him. I don't worship your theological understanding right. on this, right. but I'm telling you, God's mercy is absolute, and nothing is impossible for God's mercy, well, isn't and God's the limitations of our intellect— as it relates to salvation and redemption and atonement and the mercy of Jesus Christ is something altogether a mystery. And I don't see a logical fall. I don't see the house of cards you <laughs> yeah. know, that is, that is established that? in the cornerstone of of you know Christ's establishment of his church. It's like a compartment of God's mercy that I've figured yeah. out. I, I believe this, in an like, established church construct. that will not crumble at yeah. all. Because it's been established by Christ himself. Right, but I mean, if you have original it's not a sin. It's not a house of cards. See, right. kingdom is not a house Isn't of cards. Original sin is definitely a condition. Absolutely. That, that God, which babies who die without baptism are still in. Right. And if Christ came to save people with original sin, which who could we, not... We understand your position. You have stated it like five times now. Yeah, but you guys what aren't we're getting saying, it. <laughs> what we're saying is that... G above and beyond your theological construct, which makes perfect sense, and you don't have to say again. My position that, is Ryan, <laughs> which which is is we understand it. What we're saying is that in God's infinite power, <laughs> yes, infinite power. I'm not stop oh, talking. No. Stop talking. Let somebody else talk. Okay. Because we're ending this conversation. No, we're not. We are no, ending this conversation. No, we're not. We are. This no. is the leniency factor. This, this is, is good. This is it, okay? Because this is getting, like, way out of control. You've stated your position very clearly. Our position would be that there is an override with the mercy of God that you and I don't understand. Yeah, but you that assume that God's mercy is predicated on not having order. I, we, and let and me you share, remove from God let me share order, the last understand. word here, okay? Yeah. The order is love. If, there is, any, if there is any theological construct before God, that is a house of cards. Yeah. And St. Thomas Aquinas said very clearly, who I know he assigns his greater intellect to, <laughs> that all of it is straw and should be burnt uh, in the oh fire. My God. Now, and you're removing structure. Now, you're removing now, structure. My brothers and sisters, now, you're removing structure. You, Catholic God. talk show. We will see you next week. <laughs> you're both wrong. Okay.